Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the house of God. Let's uh, quieten our hearts as we prepare to sing to the Lord. God, we thank you we can come here. We hear the call of God to worship you. You say to sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. And you call us to praise and sing to you, Lord. Uh, here, the direction of all our conversation is upward, Lord. And conversation with men are minimized, Lord. We sing to you, O Lord, because you are the one who truly give us the reason to be joyful, Lord. So we thank you. Tune our hearts to the hearts of heaven and help us to sing unto God, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good morning once again. Okay. As Pastor has prayed, we come here to praise God and to sing and to tune our hearts to heaven. And this morning, are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen, amen. I just want to read from Psalm. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day, I'll praise you and exalt your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can phantom. One generation will command your works to another. They'll tell of your mighty works. They'll speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful words. Amen. Bless the reading of God's word. And this morning, aren't you glad again, once again, as we come, we're going to sing this song. We can be sitting down. The title of this song is Let It Rise. So shall we stand on our feet and come to focus our eyes on Jesus. He alone deserves all the praises and glory. Amen. Shall we? Hi. 
I lift you high An everlasting flame A fire for your name Lift you high, lift you high A holy offering Burning from within Shine bright And lift up your name We lift your name high And all our hallelujah up your name we lift your name high shine bright we lift up your name we lift your name high let all our hallelujahs be yours all our hallelujahs be yours from the altar
as we lock this land, Lord. We walk this land with the hearts on fire and every step will be a prayer. Home is rising, a new day dawning, sounds of singing fills the air. Two thousand years, and still the flame is burning bright across the land. on fire and every step will be a prayer hope is rising new day dawning sounds of singing fills the air two thousand years and still the flame is burning bright
shine upon this land of God, Father. That the light will dispel all darkness of God and bless this nation, Lord. Bless the leaders of this country, Lord. Let there be peace and harmony, Lord. And we as believers in Christ, that we believe in you, Jesus. I believe you 
are the Son of God. Let's declare, Lord. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for us all. And I believe that He's here now. Standing in our midst with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive. Just let it clear. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Son of God, I believe He died and rose again, I believe He paid for us all, and I believe that He's here now, standing in our midst. power to heal now. Receive the power to heal. And the grace to forgive. I believe in you, Lord. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and I believe you paid for us all And I believe that He's here now Standing in our midst With the power to heal Receive the healing now Raised you for me one last time. I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? I believe He is the Son of God. I believe He died and rose again. I believe He paid for us all. Power to heal, the grace to forgive. I believe, I believe in you, Lord. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for us all.
And I believe that he's here now. Standing in our midst with the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive. Yes, Lord, we believe that, Lord, you are here in our midst, even as your people, Lord. Come to worship you and give you all the honor. Lord, we receive your healing. We receive your grace to forgive. Father, we live, we need your grace every day, Lord. Every day in your life, Lord of God, to forgive and to receive your grace, O oh God, Father. For the things that we have done, Lord, forgive us, O oh God, Father, as we come cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And we thank you for the healing that you bring to your people who need the healing and they receive it by faith. And we thank you, Lord, for your healing, O oh God, for your love and your compassion upon your people. And Lord, there's so many things to praise you, Lord, in our life, O oh God. Even things that are not going too well, Yet, Lord, we look towards you. You are the one who pour grace in our life. And our praises to you is unending. You deserve all the praises for the works that you've done in our life, God, Father. Lord, take 
Unbroken. 
the Father, praise Jesus, praise the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, Jesus. In Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to my God so long as I live. Let's renew God's word. Father, we thank you for this morning that we can come, that you are the center of our worship this morning, that we praise you forever and ever. Let our deeds away our words to God. And that our life, our way, even the song that we sung, that we can praise you and honour you, Father, throughout the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good morning again, everyone. Today is Mother's Day, right? So, blessed Mother's Day to all in the church here and also those at home. Yeah, that's the right position to take. Alright, just a short, that's uh, a greeting card from, to wish all of you who are mothers, uh, Mother's Day. Oh, not this one. Uh, can we have the Mother's Day? No. No, okay. All right. So, good morning, to, first of all, to all of you uh, in the house here and in your houses. And Mother's Day is uh, significant. It's just good to pause one day in a year to think about mothers. Not so much about you know, sacrifices and so on. But really, the, the way mothers play in another person's life is very, very impactful and very uh, significant. Uh, all of us have our physical being. All of us have our emotional being. In fact, our emotional being is actually found to be located somewhere in our brain, so they call it the emotional part of the brain. And we are a relational being, we need to be relating with one another. And we are also a um, spiritual being. All these dimensions of our life are going on all the time. In the, and all of that part of our life, the physical, the emotional, the relational, the spiritual all should be developing healthily and uh, in what's the word in coordination with all the other parts of the being of a person. And they have found that for a child, by about eight months old, his emotional being has been fully developed. Just think about it. Huh? When the child does not know anything at all, probably just uh, learning to walk, his, his or her emotional being or his 
or her emotional brain has been fully developed and they need to receive love. And the main source of love at that young age of eight months or from zero to eight months come primarily from the mother. And so without mothers knowing, by providing actually a round face, that's all they want, the psychologists have found, all they want is just a round face that will speak love and accept the child. And when that is linked, when that link is formed or that bond is formed, the child will grow in that area of emotional life very healthily. Such that if a child under the age of eight months do not receive the love, the lack of love or even rejection, outright rejection from the main caregiver, which is usually the mother, 24 years down the road, the child can feel the pain and the impact of that pain still stay on with the child. I'm quoting all this to tell you how significant mothers are not at this time, right from the beginning when the child is growing up. And of course, uh, the part all of us play is that it takes a village to grow a child. Isn't it? Have you heard that? And all your faces, so sorry, huh? now we all wear masks. But all the faces of uncles and aunties in the church are important to the child because as it I've said, they found out that all it takes is just a round face. And here we all provide lots of round faces for children. Right? So this is part of all that, uh, why we think about Mother's Day. Uh, not that you men are mothers. I would don't want to detract the contribution, the big contribution of mothers to the growth of the child in so many other ways. But here is something for us to think that. Don't think that you are, you are just yourself, but you are helping uh, to form that village for children in this place. And so, with that, <laughs> what a thought to think about. Uh, let's just pray for all the mothers, okay? Glory, thank you for all the mothers, natural and spiritual in our midst. We pray for your great blessing upon them. Pray for us as a church that we do become a group of people that nurture life, that nurture growth, that nurture harmony for everyone from small to, from small to great, Lord. That we be a nurturing community. We be a mothering community, Lord. In that sense, we bring forth life in every form, Lord, at every stage, Lord. Be it for spiritual, Lord, be it for relational, Therefore, emotional, Lord, we be a group of people that has this mothering effect over all the people who walk through these doors. Lord. They will find the love, they will find the acceptance, they will find the grace of God in this place. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today is not only Mother's Day, but today is also the fifth Sunday of Easter. And I'm continuing the... Resurrection and Revival series because I think there is a very great connection with the uh, Resurrection and Revival. So, let me read the text, okay? John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 17 to 23. Jesus said to her, to Mary Magdalene, Do not cling to me. 
for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your, fa- to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sight. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send, I'm sending you. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I said that the great revival, we are talking about revival. Revival is a greater application of the resurrection power. So in all that I'm trying to say is to help you at least appreciate that resurrection power is something not only unique, but the greatest force on this earth. And if some of that uh, resurrection power is understood by us, that's already the beginning of revivals, I believe. And so in my conclusion, I came to this conclusion that revival is a greater application of resurrection power. Be it the outward side where the healing and the miracles and the signs and wonders take place, or in the inward self, the person becomes more assured of Christ's victory on the cross, of Christ's uh, uh, great work on the cross, and how it is applied not only in the uh, outside uh, form, but in the internal self as, as well. The church calendar... Now, when I say the church calendar, I refer to the worldwide church, the, mainly the denominational churches, which uh, is very much becoming a lesser amount because of many independent churches and independent denominations that have sprung up in this whole last uh, 30 years or even 50 years of the, church, of the church recent history, we see a lot of churches coming up that are non-denominational. So we belong to that non-denominational. But when I say that the church, I, I refer to uh, the denominational sense, eh, of which we are not a part. But there are still a significant group of people, the denominational church, because they were around for maybe a very long time and they held significant influence and force in political issues, in social issues, in religious issues, in spiritual issues, in missionary work as well. Even as late as you can feel their, you can read of their influence, even as late as even to the 70s. And now, of course, it's still going on. Many of this kind of influence is now shared with non-denominational churches and denominational churches as well. But when I say the church, the church calendar particularly, I refer to this long history that the denominational church has kept, what they will call a liturgical, liturgical calendar. That refers to a liturgy is the way you carry out a service in the church. That's how they talk about the order of service. And that is the 
a calendar I'm referring to. And so this calendar church, we don't uh, buy or uh, celebrate every one of their feasts. We take note of some. For us, I have said here many times, we talk about Christmas, we talk about Easter, Easter is resurrection, and we also talk about Pentecost. And these are the three things we mark. And I have also given my reasons at the beginning why we, like suddenly, why are we trying to be a denominational, denominational church? Whether we are actually becoming one or not, it's not the issue. Nobody is concerned about that. But so long as we do things that are biblical, spiritual, and you know, they conform to the Bible, that should be good enough. But when you talk about why should a church maintain some form of calendar, in the full-blown calendar, is really to help the believer follow the life of Christ for two-thirds of the year, and about one-third of the year is to follow how the church go about certain... The story of the church is told not in terms of just uh, events, but more about the people who are involved. And so this is how the leaders of the church bring the life of Christ and the growth of the church to the people by celebrating that liturgical calendar week by week. So I'm going through a very long time through this to help you understand that you can take part in what we are doing when we talk about Easter or when we talk about Pentecost and we talk about uh, Christmas. Why I particularly want to set this in the church here? Simply because do you know that children need order? And by having a kind of a form of calendar in the church, a form of, a form of order in the form of the church calendar or part of the church calendar, it helps to bring some stability. And that is how families are built. Families are built by memories, right? Memory or, oh, we did this. You can show many times when, when people relate with me, they show photographs of their children in our Sunday school. And for them, Easter is more than Easter because they get to take part in it, <laughs> they get to talk about it, or any other events that go on week by week uh, in the church, and the, now we call it kids' church or the Sunday school, is significant to them and setting something that like is a landmark in the, in the year helps them to you know, get around, to grow uh, in an orderly way. So there are seven weeks or seven Sundays in the church calendar that talk, that, that talk about the resurrection. They set aside seven Sundays to talk about this resurrection so that church members will understand how significant resurrection is. So that we may understand the vast power that is in resurrection. One way to understand resurrection is to, to use the word that Jesus used, when I'm lifted up from the earth, or when I'm lifted up. Jesus used the word lifted up three times in his... Uh, John used this word lifted up three times in his gospel. He used it in different ways. Now, when just, just literally speaking, just for how, how every day we understand the word lift up. You can ask the question, lift up how high, isn't it? Isn't it, huh? it doesn't say how high. It just says it was lifted up. 
But when it's of a certain height or at a certain place, we give it a name. And this is what I'm trying to show you from these three verses. And verse, first one on the left side, your left. Huh? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This question you ask, how high? That's just about 10 feet. Lah. Because it's talking about when you say that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. It's a story found in Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21 verse 6, people were speaking against or complaining against the manna. Every day got manna. They also complain. So God sent fiery snakes to them. And in Numbers 21 verse 9, we, read, we hear this. So Moses was instructed to make a bronze snake. A bronze snake. That means a snake made of metal. Okay? And mounted it on a pole. And Moses was supposed to lift up that pole. So whenever someone was beaten, he looked at that bronze snake. He would recover. He recovered. So that's a big kind of a power, isn't it? Just by looking. So it's lifted on a pole. The bronze snake was lifted up, was put on the pole, and the pole was lifted up. Can be likened to Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Two lessons here. First is the lesson of the cross. This is the picture of a cross. The bronze serpent was placed on a pole and lifted up. The bronze serpent represents sin and death. The Son of Man became sin and death on the cross. And of course we stop there, but after his resurrection, whoever believes in him has eternal life. The fact that it is made of bronze, bronze symbolizes the judgment of God. So it's the judgment of God on the serpent. It's the judgment of God on the sin and death as well. And Jesus became that serpent on the cross. To answer the question, how high was he lifted up? About 10 feet, I said. 10 feet, why? Because in the real crucifixion, the cross is first, first they dig a hole in the ground, probably. Then they lay the cross horizontally. And then they place the victim on the cross Nail him on the right side, nail him on the left side, then the two feet cross together, they put one nail through. And when that is done, that is not the main pain. By this time, his back will be all in, broken up into a terrible mess already. Then what they do is they take ropes and pull up the cross and let it sink into the hole and plant it into and and like that. That is where the real pain, because the gravity now pulls the, the gravity pulls the body and the pain is felt in extreme form in those places where the nails were laid. How high? Just lift it up like that on the cross. That's about 10 feet like, at the most, maximum. So at 10 feet, that's basically his 
death for us. He died. And by seeing Him, doing, believing in Him like that, we will be, as the Old Testament people were healed, we will be saved. We will be given eternal life. Whoever believes in Him, the man on the cross, we become people who are sharers of eternal life. Think about it. No other work is needed. You don't have to climb mountain. You don't have to go and shave your head. Or you don't have to go to some solitary place in the wilderness and meditate. Just look at Jesus on the cross and you can be saved. My goodness, it's so easy, isn't it? I had to do some, uh, to do some uh, speaking engagement with the university students, and I was talk about I was asked to talk about sharing the gospel. I made a very quick statement that I've been thinking about, and I truly believe it. It is very easy to believe God. Okay, lah. You say I'm a man who has some faith. That's why it's easy to believe. I believe. <laughs> I believe. That's my faith already. It is very easy to be saved. It's not difficult to be saved. If only people would realize all the hard work that has been done by Jesus Christ on the cross. You do not have any more hard work. What's so difficult to just look up and see? Does it cost you sweat? Does it cost two thousand? Does it cost to burn two thousand calories of energy? Nothing like that. You don't have to run a marathon, or you don't have to travel from barefoot from one end of the country to the other. You don't have to crawl your way to a holy temple. All you got to do is stand still, understand what the scriptures say, and look at Jesus, and you are saved. Easy. Hala. Easy lah. The answer is obvious. I think we all sometimes think it's very difficult for unbelievers to come to Christ. Okay, there's a lot of other issues, but if you want to believe, it is very easy. I was one time hearing some uh, tape, and I was at that stage thinking hearing the voice of God is very difficult. And at the end of it, all I can tell you is, it is very easy to hear God from that point on. I believe that. That you can hear God if it's needed to hear God. And if there's nothing to hear about it, that means you don't have to hear lah. But all that is necessary to hear, it is very easy to hear. That is what I believe. And I come to this place... Oh, I remember what some books that say. Faith, when faith comes, it suddenly makes you know mentally that it's so easy to believe. And I pray our faith will grow in this sense that it's easier and easier to believe what the Bible tells you. The second Column there is from chapter 8, verse 28 of John's Gospel. And Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. It is kind of difficult to translate from the original language. 
uh, into English. What that I am there, there's no he there in the original language, is trying to say is to hark back upon that scripture in, John, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God said to, when Moses asked, what is your name? God has a name. Uh, Moses was uh, astute or clever enough or aware enough to know that God, that if I were to go down to the Jews in Egypt and tell them a uh, God, a God, they would ask, what kind of God? Who, which God? So there's a name for God. And of course, then Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. So that I am who I am is the name of our God. So sometimes when it is uh, uh, brought down over the years, it becomes the, the I am. And we sing in our choruses, the great I am. That is the name he's talking about, a divine name, the name of the Jehovah God, the name of the triune God, the name that the Old Testament revealed. So this is the name. You see, when I am lifted up, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, that I am of the Old Testament that Moses, uh, I mean, that Moses heard. And we will not know that He is the great I am, or the I am, by His death alone. So this has to refer to His death and resurrection. Because by looking at His death, great chance people won't know that He is the I am. This is not the Jehovah God, because the Jehovah God does not end in defeat. He always comes as victorious. He will never be defeated. So, this I am, this lifted up here, must be more than, but cannot refer to the cross. At least at the minimum, must refer to that bed in the tomb there, where they laid Jesus, Joseph Arimathea, laid Jesus' body, dead body, on that particular uh, concrete block, whatever it is, and Jesus was raised sitting down and then put his feet there. Well, maybe about six feet. But that refers to his resurrection, isn't it? When he's lifted up. And it also creates a possibility that it can be ascension as well. Because after he was raised from the dead, how many feet that is, he's raised high, 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 high. You can't count how many feet that is. Isn't it? When I am lifted up, it can mean resurrection or ascension there. Then you will know that I am, I am. In John 8, um, to draw Jesus, to draw people to Jesus, he said that at the, the, the other half of the sentence, where he said that I am he and that I do nothing, then you will know that I am. So that I am, the knowledge of that I am, has to be also something that comes when the Holy Spirit comes. So there is a hint of the Holy Spirit in the church calendar is the hint of Pentecost Day. Mm, that makes it all very interesting. And then,
at 12 to, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Again, this must be definitely after resurrection and ascension is also possible. To draw all men, it can only happen with the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people. Pause for a while. Just following Luke's gospel, when Jesus rose again from the dead, to the time that he was taken up into heaven, we call ascension, that is 40 days. And then another 10 days later, we read that the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost Day. What Luke described events within the period of 50 days, our friend John come and kachow us and show that all the events, the main events that took place in 50 days happened in one day, resurrection. Because of this word, lifted up, you can see it means so many dimensions. It's lifted up, it's a resurrection. Right? It's a resurrection, it can also be an ascension. The lifted up can also be possibly the Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as well. So this range of meaning is what we are seeing here. When you say lifted up, it means crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, all lumped together. And make us all shake our head. How in the world can John talk like that? When Luke say it happened over 50 days. It's like John compressed every, all this ascend, uh, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost. He compressed all into one day. I think I know why. I will tell you afterwards. But to talk about resurrection, just purely like he rises again from the dead, and that is important, and all the implications that flow out certainly is needed. But when you add resurrection plus the word lifted up, you expand the meaning of resurrection. It adds a richer meaning to our resurrection word. It means crucifixion. It means resurrection. It means ascension. It means Pentecost outpouring. All happening with this one idea of lifted up, but you marry that resurrection and lifted up, you can get this richer meaning. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, all happen in one day. Right? It can lift it up can mean one or two of the three or all of the three. That you have to read from the context as you go along. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And this is what one of the powers of resurrection is or one of the benefits of resurrection is for us to draw us to, to God, to Jesus. But I want to uh, 
enlarge your thinking, we think, oh, we draw to Jesus. Like Hebrews use the word, we draw near to God. But this drawing is an upward drawing. I will draw all men to myself. It's not horizontal. It is vertical. It draws us upwards. Because Jesus is not on the earth. Jesus is in the heavens. So if He draws us to Him, He draws us vertically upwards. Think of the word upward as part of this draw, drawing. The drawing of people to God is an upward drawing. So can you just say this word so that you, you can remember better? Upward, see? Louder lah. Upward. We are on an upward journey. Our view our view is an upward view. We are, you know, looking into heaven. We are heavenward all the time. So, I'm now going to take the text that I've read and marry that with... Uh, that was the resurrection story, okay? How Jesus come into the room when the doors were locked. They were out of fear. They locked the doors and Jesus came in and Jesus then spoke to them. And all that thing happened in the verses that I read just now. And so when Jesus is lifted up, they were looking at three outcomes, not looking at the verses where the lifted up was, were mentioned, was mentioned, but rather in John's gospel, because John uh, clarified or expanded this meaning better here. First outcome, of course, we receive forgiveness of sins. If you forgive the sins, now you will say, if you forgive, it's not talking about you being forgiven, but hold on, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We can only forgive people when we know we are forgiven. Huh? We give people a fuller forgiveness when we know God has forgiven us. That's why this verse kind of have a preliminary verse before that or fact before that. It is that God has forgiven you. Now He commands His disciples to forgive others. And if you don't forgive others, right, then, you know, if you withhold forgiveness from them, then it is withhold, withheld. It speaks first of God forgiving you first. Fair, huh? Because before you can forgive people, you, people can forgive one another without being forgiven. But the fullest of forgiveness is when we receive forgiveness and then out of that fullness of forgiveness, we forgive people. If people then hurt us because God has forgiven us, we can forgive people. My classic illustration is this. When people hurt us, it's like an arrow inside our heart. And when more hurts come our way, we collect more arrows. Until such time, by a certain age, our heart looks like a porcupine. Or like a durian, a lot of sharp things. Porcupine. The arrow is still there. And if you, a wind blow over the arrow, your heart will feel the hurt already. And there... Sometimes people walk into a room and don't know what is happening to them, but some of the old wounds are triggered without them knowing and they react. So all these 
So, I often say that don't be an arrow collector. Collect stamps is okay. Collect teddy bears are okay. But don't ever carry all those arrows. So, pluck it out. And if you want to be more imaginative, forgive people, imagine the arrow drop and have a loud clanking sound. Clang, 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 clang. All your arrows drop. Because if you retain, then, even, then the other part is also to minister to people forgiveness everywhere. Not only when you are hurt, or when arrows are stuck in your heart, with or without arrows in your heart, learn to abundantly forgive people. Because people need to be told that there's a forgiveness from God. You don't have to convince me very hard about the gospel. There came a point I actually uh, searched for God. And one of my biggest things that I want, now I know that, now I have the vocabulary to say, I want to be forgiven by God. I just don't know how I ever got that. But the plague of sin, the burden of sin, was very tangible for me. And I always think that if I ever can find a God who can forgive me, I will know it, that, that would be the end of my search. Your every other God called me to do something, to pray harder, la, to bow lower, la, to burn more incense, la, to give more money, la, and so on. Every religion is asking you to do something to get forgiveness. But whatever I do, I, I know I will never meet the standard of forgiveness one. Somewhere in your mind, you know it's very hard to achieve. Because some, later on, you read in your Psalms, the forgiveness of sins is a very, very high price. So we know that it is not something that, uh, you know, comes from men. And so when the night I heard the gospel, Jesus Christ, forgive your sins, boy, all heaven broke loose. That's the only way to say And I think, you know, you never know. I mean, you're not conscious of not being forgiven. I mean, we walk through life not aware of sin, therefore we don't know the need of forgiveness. You never know what is it like for people who are burdened with sin and yet do not, who are outside the kingdom of Christ. But once you are in, forgiveness is so wonderful. I went home, almost, maybe I would say the sixth heaven, not seventh heaven. It was that good. Cycling home, I know I was part in heaven. Yeah, and went to bed. I said, God, I have happy times before. But when I wake up the next morning, that is gone. But if this thing that is inside me, that makes me so free, when I wake up tomorrow and it's still there, then I know the Almighty God is a real God. Sure, I woke up and it was still, it is, was still there. Today, from time to time, it may be in the background, but I can look for it. I can search for it. And when I know that again, I touch something of that, I'm back alive again. That is what God offers to us. All of us need to know the, 
love, the forgiveness, but that forgiveness came out of a very rich heart of love. I love this story so much, you know. A young boy, um, what's the word? The young boy knew his mother loved him a lot. So one day he had a pair of pants and the pocket has holes. Bocho somewhere, a big hole. Turned to the mother and said, please repair this pocket of mine. The mother don't know how. When the mother began to repair and sew back the hole, she did not do a complete job. The big hole just became a smaller hole, that's all. But she knows, he knows that the mother loved him and did all. And that sewing or that repairing of that pocket hole is her act of love to him or no? He understand it or interpret it that way. And then he had to be going out of the home to study. And sometimes he wants to kind of remind himself of his mother's love. He go and search for that hole in his pocket. And when he can feel that hole, he feels assured. That was my mother's love for me. You all will find ways to look for that hole in the pocket to know that God loves you, no? Isn't it? You want to know, go back again to that. It's just natural. We just need to know in a deep way that God loves us. We don't need a lot of things, you know. Things will always go bad. And when we touch and feel that so-called hole, the pocket hole, your own kind, whatever it may be, a scripture verse, a memory, someone, some words, some sentence in a book, and that kind of is like a doorway to connect you to the love of God. Troubles will still be there, they won't change, but you have a stronger inner self to face them. And fight your way through. That's how forgiveness is. We are people who need to be forgiven, whether you know it or not. And once we know we are forgiven, we know something of the love of God. This psychiatrist ran a clinic and invited a pastor to come and join his counseling clinics. The pastor asked why. I'm a pastor, I'm not a trained counselor, I'm not a trained psychologist. The the psychologist said, almost 95% of my clients come come here to be helped. And I can't help them many times with all my training and my clinical training and therapy. All they want is to have someone to tell them that God forgives them. Because the problems they have are not mental problems or emotional problems. The problem they have is a moral problem. For all the denouncement by the Western world that there is no God, and telling people, you know, you can live without a God, all that crumples down because at a heart level, 
you cannot do without God. You need a God to forgive you. So all these big names they give boil down to very simple. They want a pastor. They want a man who has been forgiven by God to tell them, God forgives you. 95% of those people won't need counselling after that. So that's why he asked this pastor to join his staff. But he said, no, I'm called on a different ministry. I'm not, in that sense, you don't need me. You have your skills to deal with those issues, and those issues need to be dealt with. But at the core of those issues is people need to be forgiven. So they don't have mental problems. They have guilt problems. We receive the Holy Spirit. As I said, according to Luke, giving of the Holy Spirit is on Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. See, we know that Luke wrote X, uh, uh, Luke's Gospel and Acts of the Apostle, part one, part two. Yeah? So he... Luke described it, in, as I say, in a chronological order. Death on Good Friday, resurrection on Easter Sunday, and for this year, ascension will be something like 18th of May, a few, few more days more. It's the 18th of May you hear the ascension day. Then next Sunday will be ascension Sunday. Then another 10 days later, that will be, I mean, one week later, that will be Pentecost day. So, like I say, it stretched over five, uh, 50 days. And basically, Luke wrote it in a chronological order. And, but when John writes, he writes everything as one day. Because this verse... John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said the Holy Spirit, said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I was in a discussion room uh, as part of my course. We had to tackle this. This school is a Pentecostal school. All right? So lecturers are all Pentecostal. And they are talking to Pastors or Christians who have a Pentecostal background. So to tell the Pentecostal that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the original Greek is very emphatic. He came up with a, a force. No, he breathed the Holy Spirit. It cannot be empty air. All we are trying, what the lecturer is trying to impress, it, this is not just play, play, play one. Masa, masa, taiwan. You are talking about a real Holy Spirit when on the evening of the first day of resurrection. Well, I mean, how are we going to solve the world? Oh, we are given, um, divided into groups to try to explain X2 and this together. You come up with this solution, you know, it's like... Uh, a down payment cannot. The Greek does not allow you to say it's a down payment. The original language cannot be a down payment. That's all we know. So we battle this, battle up. Every kind of solution got lobang, got cannot stand one. 
this may not interest a lot of people because this is about studies. Lah, huh? Some of us don't like to get to study. I understand that. But bear with me. The only way after I, 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 I finished the course some time ago, now over time I thought about it, the only way is to say that there are two views in life, in many things as well. There's a view that is from the throne and looking down at the earth. And there's a view from the earth looking up into heaven. Okay? Just take this example that is found on the screen. Revelation 21 verse 5. He was seated on the throne. That's Jesus said. Behold, I'm making all things new. And in case you don't believe it, the Lord said to John, make sure you write it down so that those who are unsure will be sure and those who doubt will believe. Because these words are trustworthy and true. That's what he said. Lah. Because when, I'm, when you are looking from Ecclesiastes' point, which is a view under the sun, that means from the earth, there is nothing new. What has been... You, I saw somebody using this as their so-called uh, tagline, motto, whatever you call it. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what it will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. There's a fat, note of fatalism, that means ayah, kwesera, sera kind of thing, eh? correct? Eh? And there's nothing new under the sun. Same old church people, same old service, same old song, same old pastor, same old type of sermon, same old this, same old that, same wife, same children, same job, same salary, same, 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 nothing new under the sun. But when you are from the throne, <laughs> everything is new. Which view will you have? You want to all the time look upwards and say, under the sun there's nothing new. Or you could look down from the throne and see God is doing new things every time. So from that throne way, many interesting views can be seen. Eh? You will be surprised that when you... By the way, how do you get there? Read your Bible. Lah. Because that is the window from... Is the little window open from the throne room view. You can see far more interesting. So whenever you feel nothing new has happened, nothing new, nothing good, nothing new good, eh? no good new thing, eh? no good new thing, yeah. No good new thing, eh, you may have been sitting down in, on, on the earth looking under the sun and looking and then say, yeah. It is true. It is real. It is tangibly old. Nothing new. You can't fake it. You touch it. It's concrete. Everything is the same old thing, same old thing, same old thing. If you sit too long under like that, then can I recommend? Look out from a different window. Lah. The road torn room window is so interesting. I'm doing I'm making all things new. That's up to us. Change our perspective. So Luke wrote the 50 days event of death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost from an 
earthly point. Nothing wrong. Please, we are here created by God to be on the earth. Eh? I am earthbound. I write down my appointments in my calendar book because I cannot be so spiritual and ignore time. I live in a time-bound world. I live in a space-bound world. I cannot tomorrow say I want to be in Helsinki and enjoy some skiing there or whatever it is. Cannot. I live on the earth here. My feet are planted on the ground. I will tell you, I'm not saying that Luke's version or the earth view is wrong. It is that there is another view and both are true. So if you say I'm trying to be telling you to live in a crazy life without talking about time, talking about space, where we are, talking about the, uh, all the earthly things that are on earth that we have to do, please don't get me wrong. I'm not referring to that kind of life. I'm just going to tell you you can't all the time live in that way. Because there's another way out. There's another view. That's the view of the throne room window. Because from the earth, time is important. Don't live like it's timeless like that. We are not like that. We got calendar commitments to make and we got things to follow by the calendar and by the clock. I will be the first to say that. So he put out 50 days. But from John, when he sits and he takes the throne room view and look down, from God's point of view, God is eternal. God is timeless. So death, resurrection, now I'm going to blow your mind. I hope I don't. Death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, all happen in one day. Can accept that? Because he said all that from the John's Gospel. In that verse to Mary Magdalene at the garden, he said, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I'm ascending. So ascension happened on resurrection day. Then now he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Pentecost happened on Resurrection Day. Can he say that and conflict with Luke? No. He is looking from a different point of view. And so likewise, there are two views to have. It depends on which one you enjoy most. Lah. If under the sun, nothing new you enjoy, you keep on seeing from that view. But if you enjoy once in a while the heavenly view, then look down from the top and look at it. It's so different. Because in that view, there is no limitation of time. God is timeless. He lives in a timeless world. That time will come to an end. And He's already there. And He looks at the world without time. So for you, from His point of view, you have already been dead to sin. For God... It's all in, like in the past, but actually there's no past or present or future. For you, God see, for God, God see you as already raised from the dead. For God, 
you have already ascended with Christ. That's why Colossians 3 says, if you are raised with Christ, when were you raised? If you look from online point of view, you are still on the earth. But if you take a heavenly view, you are already raised and seated with Christ, according to Paul in Ephesians. You're already up there. So how do you live? Yes, you have to live with time. But you also need to know that timeless life, you only visit, but it's still true. It's the view that you have. And so, we see that, and I can also say, God already see you as glorified. Yet, you are not glorified. From this view, you are not. But from God's point of view, you are. I hope I don't confuse you. I'm very afraid. But I hope you understand eh? that there are two views like this. And once you see what this view is like, we are going to see what greater power there is in this term called resurrection. If we see it as something that is just not... We will say in our normal uh, way of speaking, we say, oh, resurrection celebrates the rising again of Jesus Christ from the dead. Correct. But if you take a heavenly view and explore it, it's much, much bigger. And so all the power that is in there becomes something for us to claim as our own. I would just want to... Uh, Go to the third one. The outcome of Jesus being lifted up. We have a commission. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. To send someone is an ambassadorial word. And all of us, ambassador, you represent somebody. You have a commission you have a charge, you have a duty, you have something that is, you are responsible for. These are the words to mean a commission. And when he sends you, first, God sends you from heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus will say to every one of you, I, Jesus Christ, Apostilio, that means that's the word for apostle. Lah. I send you, apostle is a sent one. I send you from heaven to the earth. You are to represent me on this earth here. You are my representative. So that heavenly send, where vertically coming down, eh? so Jesus send you to this earth and ask you to stay in this world, but do not be of the world. That's all. Okay? You are in the world here, but you are sent by Jesus Christ. You are in enemy's territory, but you are still on this territory here, sent by God. No place is meant, no geographical place is mentioned. Out of that one single sending of the Christian to the world, 
the church worked together with everyone and we will then have a horizontal sending. The church must send people, not necessarily far, far away, like a missionary, but send to a particular work, send to a particular village, send to a particular group of people. All these are the, the horizontal sending that came out from that big one sending. So you must know, even if that is not clear in your life, the horizontal sending, please be clear on the first one, that God vertically has sent you down from heaven to the earth to represent Him. So as the Father sent me from heaven to earth, and He got a commission, His commission is to die, He did His job, now He tells His disciple, as the Father sent me, I now send you to the earth first. Then your church through the Holy Spirit will send you horizontally to nations, to villages, to group, people's group, and so on. That is the model that we should follow all the time. That's why I you know, just used two words to be the, used to be the tagline of the church, called and sent. We need to be called, and, then we need, and now of course we enlarge these words now. So we may be sent by God the Father, without knowing whether it's Africa, America, or Australia. It's okay. But just know that you are sent, as the Father has sent him. What will happen when we begin to realize we have received a commission? I think we are more careful about the way we live our life, isn't it? Because we've got a job to do. People will use the natural uh, calendars, the years, to inform them what to do. I think there is wisdom in there. But as far as being called and sent by God, there is no expiry date. So whether we be in the 30s, the call is still there. Whether we be in the 80s, the call is still there. So it has no kind of expiry date, you know, and finish. Well, we may retire, but the call is still there. Is how you work it out within the new economic uh, context. You have to do it like that. Otherwise, you know, there is a kind of a slowing down. Ah, I have a reduced energy. Yes, I have a reduced energy. But that does not negate the call. The call is an everlasting call. The call is what makes you a Christian because uh, the church is called ecclesia, a group of people that has been called out. So if we are part of a church, we are part of a call-out people. We are, if you have no call, then, then you are not a church member. That's the basic idea behind it. Yes, we have to do with uh, all the other physical parts of it that is necessary to give shape to a spiritual reality. But the thing is still that essentially, basically, the call is still there. Amen. Nobody say amen, amen. Application. I got one application. If you understand and look from the throne room, from the top, and look down, I will challenge you to pray big. What do I mean by pray big? Many of our prayers are too small. Don't make work God. Don't make God work hard. Very easy for God. 
right? Sorry, I don't mean to uh, kind of, you know, uh, offend you in any way. But all of our troubles are very small. And we, so, so sorry, I know there are sick people. Our sicknesses are very small. He can heal so many people. That is his, that is small stuff for God. So, for fear of being unkind to people, I, I want to stop there at that point. But really, it's not to say don't pray small prayers. But once in a while, pray some outlandish, crazy, mind-boggling, earth-shattering kind of prayer. Big, big prayer. What? Send revival to Malaysia? Big prayer, big prayer, big prayer. That's big prayer. What can you think? That you will know God more. That's a huge prayer. No, it's not a small prayer. Let not a man glory that he is wise. Not let a man glory in his riches. Let a man not glory in his honor. But let anyone who wants to glory, let him glory that he knows and understands the Lord. That is a big prayer. This morning I hint, and more than me, the song leader also hinted, that we sing unto God. It is a big prayer to be able to pray that kind of prayer. Do you know that? When you are aware that He's in front of you, that is what it means. You are aware that your heart is directed towards somebody because it's very hard to direct your prayer. A lot of inward things about our character, the, many of the inward part of our spiritual life, they are huge prayers. Many of our physical needs, yes, pray them, please. But comparatively, they are smaller. So without insulting anybody, I'm just going to say that when we try to look at uh, you know, big prayers, you will be surprised that, you know, uh, you mean, oh, okay, what about it? The, uh, I'll say it this way, the inward life are big prayers, but we are many times confused and think they are small things. So what if my spiritual eyes are open? Paul prayed that in Ephesians. I pray that my eye, your eyes may be enlightened huh? to, to see things. Lah. Big prayer? Huge prayer. If you, if you think it's small, I want to let you know that many times what we think are big prayers, we think are small prayers. And what we think are small prayers are big prayers. Pray big, 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 big prayers. That's all I can tell you. Something of God that very rare, for one thing, and hard, not say hard, nothing is too hard for God, okay? But something rare, and something in the Bible, revival, spiritual awakening, the inward growth of your life, your prayer life, those are huge prayers. Once in a while, pray crazy prayer. God sent five million. Is that a big prayer? Big, big, big. Come to that one day. Lah. Come to that one. I read a man, I heard of a man who would never ask for physical things for his life. And he shared this testimony on, in a podcast. Strange pastor. I trained myself never to pray for physical needs of my, for, of my life to God. So one day he really need a lawnmower. 
He knows that he needs a lawnmower. And he still refused to pray, to pray for a lawnmower. <laughs> what is a lawnmower? Two, three hundred American dollars only, isn't it? But he don't want to pray. He said, that is not, not my kind. That's not my understanding of how a Christian pray. He, he, he would say, I pray the big things, not the lawnmower things. Huh? Okay? So he said like that. Then one day, he actually heard the prompting of what he thought is a prompting. Uh, could be of God, but he didn't know. Uh. He heard this prompting and said, pray for your lawnmower. Ah, yo. He started to <laughs> kind of <laughs> get turbulent inside. What? All my spiritual life, I'm trained not to pray for my own needs. I pray for other physical needs, for other people fine. But I will not pray because that's, not in, that's small. Then he came to realize that yeah, that could be God. So he sheepishly prayed, oh God, give me a lawnmower. The moment he prayed that prayer, a phone call came. I said, hey, a friend uh, from another part of the country, far, far away. Hey, I'm moving house. I got one spare lawnmower for you. Do you want a lawnmower? <laughs> he shook his head. What's strange, huh? He should consider that a small prayer. I, I, I'm not, I, I will pray for my physical need. I am not that spiritual like that man who will not, who is trained not to pray for his own physical needs. Isn't it funny? Eh? I think God has uh, 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 two, he, he looks at our physical life and our spiritual life as well. We need to be comfortable. You know, people are in pain. I know they pray, but generally when you are not well, you don't pray well. <laughs> that's, that's just the equation. Uh, the healthier you are, the better you are at prayer. That's, that goes without saying. So when people uh, pray for smaller things, yeah, there's a place for it. I'm not against that. But if too much of our prayer life are all the small, small things, as I would now say, small, small things, yeah, then it's about time when you see how big the power of resurrection is, we can pray bigger prayers. Okay, that's, let me end. God, we just ask for a mighty, mighty outpouring, the thunderous crashing of your glory and your grace to fall upon the, your people, Lord. Let there be waves and waves of glory seen and felt in our lives, Lord. Help us to expand, Lord. Expand all to its Limits the limitless God that we serve, Lord. You are an unlimited God. But if we are so earthbound, we fail to see how great you are. Stretch our limits. Stretch us, O God. Increase our capacity for the greater presence of God in our life and in the assembly, Lord. Make us receptive, Lord, we ask. To your Holy Spirit, Lord. Sing this song. Lift your vision high in the way that you never had before. Lift your vision high. Sing again, lift your vision 
to make your private prayers to God, go ahead, ask Him to stretch the ropes of your tent, to enlarge your tent, progressive vision Isaiah say, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your course and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations. The prophet say this to a barren woman. Incredible. She is a barren one, the Bible tells us. But the prophet come and tell this barren woman, enlarge the place of your tent, increase your house, increase the rooms, do renovation to your house, strengthen your stakes. That is the tent image. And then he said, lengthen your cords. These are words that are impossible for a barren woman to hear. We the same. Sometimes find it very hard to believe. That God has bigger things for us. Sing again with all your heart. I'll lift your vision high in a way that you never had before. Enlarge our ten, Lord. 
progressive vision. What happened? Progressive vision. We will live carelessly. For without the progressive vision, we will dwell carelessly. So what must we do? Live your vision higher, and you will see the glory of the May your grace fall upon us, Lord. We be able to lift up our eyes and see what you have for us. The treasures, Lord. The beauty of heaven, Lord. The beauty of holiness. May that enthrall us. May that enrapture us, Lord. To live for you and not dwell carelessly. Lift us up, Lord. Lift our vision. Raise us up, Lord. Raise us high into the sky that we see beyond the horizons. We will look into heaven. We will see God, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Blessed Mother's Day again to all the mothers. There's a small Mother's Day celebration upstairs. So kindly make your way there.